today on Ag News Daily. It was kind of on a whim. We just said, you know what we should do? We should do a podcast, you know, kind of about whatever is going on in agriculture at any given time. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is a Fry-Yay episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney Howell. It is a Fry-Yay indeed. We are going to be talking later on in this episode to the three talented ladies behind the Girls Talk Ag podcast, which will soon be on the Global Ag Network. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. They've got a pretty good podcast. Uh, I would probably rate it PG, so maybe don't listen to it with your kids in the room or in the car with you. But no, they talk about a lot of different subjects, tackle a lot of hard subjects in agriculture, and come at it from the perspective of moms. Yeah, yeah, which is great. It's not not something I can relate to uh, all that <laughs> often. I mean, being a mom, but yeah. certainly a lot of the other challenges they face and, you know, just the idea that communication is so important. Whatever sector of agriculture you're in, the ability to talk about it and the issues affecting the industry, yeah, that's what they do. And they do it with a, with a sense of humor, which is always fun. They definitely do do it with a sense of humor. So that's going to be coming up later in the podcast. But, Mike, the news doesn't stop. For that. It doesn't. The news never stops. It is a constant swirling, swirling dervish news. And um, I've got just a little bit to kick us off here, Delaney. And that's Farm Bill. By golly, Farm Bill talk. We talked about it yesterday. We heard a couple of clips from Secretary Sonny Perdue talk about the rush to get it done. And uh, now we've got a report out of the uh, D.C. talking about how even though August is typically a downtime in Washington, this year it's not because a lot of things are getting done on the farm bill. In fact, the Southwest Council of Agribusiness has sent uh, the conferees, the, the folks from both House and Senate, a detailed description of challenges currently plaguing rural America. And I thought this was interesting. I've got a feeling that a lot of folks can relate to it. Um, basically, the Agriculture needs careful attention. Farm families are losing money on every bushel or pound they produce, and crop insurance is going to be vital. This was put forward there by the uh, the Southwest uh, Council of Agribusiness. It was co-signed, or at least similar letters were written by the American Sugar Alliance and, uh, well, pretty much every other commodity organization that is out there. And it sounds like they're certainly working to keep the uh, conferees on their toes and, and at least pushing towards some kind of a votable bill. We'll see what happens once it hits the floor of both House and Senate, but it sounds like we are working towards a bill moving to the floor on both. Okay. Does it have a timeline for when? Oh, Lord, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, j- just like I think Secretary Purdue said yesterday, you know, the goal is to have something by midterms just because uh-huh. that's going to upend everything and who knows which of these conferees are, are going to win re-election and so forth. But, yeah, that, that seems like a tall order to me. It does. And it also seems like a tall order to be getting NAFTA done today with, Mexico and Canada, it's looking more and more likely that we might just have a trade deal here moving forward with Mexico. Canada's top negotiator, Christia Freeland, said today before their break for lunch that, quote, we're not there yet. They do have another round of talks this afternoon when hopefully something will be done. But it sounds like uh, President Trump has ticked off the Canadians because apparently a media interview that he did with Bloomberg last week has gotten leaked 
and had some oh. off-the-record comments made by President Trump that has ticked off Canada and Can- Canadian negotiators. The Toronto Star reported that it obtained these comments from the off-the-record portion of the, an interview in the Oval Office last week. And in those comments, apparently President Trump said that he isn't going to make any compromises with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And... Uh, but he isn't going to say so publicly because, quote, it's going to be so insulting that they're not going to be able to make a deal. And another quote he said apparently in this off-the-record interview was, quote, here's the problem. If I say no, the answer is no. If I say no, then you're going to put that, and it's going to be insulting. They're not going to be able to make a deal. I can't kill these people, end quote. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then he said huh. it's going to be a deal that's totally on our terms. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's that's a lot of good deals get written yeah. that way, I would imagine. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, it sounds like we are not going to make that uh, sort of self-imposed August 31st deadline. It sounds like AMLO, uh, the next president of Mexico, will have to sign whatever agreement comes up, assuming, assuming, of course, that something does end up getting signed. Well, unless I guess the other possibility would be to just do something with just the Canada, just the U.S. and Mexico, right? Well, it could, but that would be an entirely new uh, trade agreement that would have to go through both houses of... I think it would have to go through both houses of Congress, perhaps just the Senate, to get ratified. Whereas a NAFTA renegotiation with all three parties, the president has a lot more free reign to sort of change things and, and get it done. Uh, so we'd have to pull out of NAFTA, you know, throwing Canada to the wind, re-sign a fresh bilateral agreement with Mexico, get that agreement through Congress, and then, you know, begin action upon it, which I don't know. I, so much is at stake here. It's an election year. Gosh, who knows? Hmm. Okay. We also had uh, from, I believe, that same interview with President Trump, his... I, I guess reiteration of a commitment. He said that if the WTO does not shape up, he will withdraw from the organization. He said the agreement establishing the WTO was the single worst trade deal ever made, and he really wants the WTO to treat the U.S. better. And this has some folks fairly nervous because moving out of the WTO, moving away from that peaceful settlement of trade disputes, that could upend a lot more in the global trade system than just, you know, a, a trade war with China. So it's going to be uh, c- going to be an interesting next couple of years, it sounds like, for sure. Delaney. It does. And actually, that's a good segue into my next piece of news, Mike. And it looks like we're going to have to tighten our budgets again for 2018 and 2019 because the USDA reported today or forecasted today that net farm income is going to be at $65.7 billion, which was up from the February projection, however, down 13% from 2017. Hmm. Um, so when the broad measure of farmland profits, which, which in 2017 we saw an increase of about 23% in farmland profits. Okay. Yeah, it's... Uh... Certainly not going in the way of a lot of growers uh, would like yeah. to see. You know, a lot of bankers are getting nervous this kind of year. But as we talked about with Darren on Monday and as we talked about at the Farm Progress show with several different folks, this year does look like we are going to have decent yields, which should help some growers bushel their way out of uh, really well, dire financial constraints. Not, I wouldn't say 
helps out that much with prices being the way they are. Well, you know, it depends on how good the crop actually turns out to be. If you're growing, some folks are definitely going to have record corn. Even with price down, you can produce more bushels, sell them at a lower price, and well, you know, come out with true. a little bit more money, I you know, guess. possibly. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the that's the theory, anyhow. And that kind of ties into my next note, which is kind of a combination of grain pricing and NAFTA. We have talked with several folks from North Dakota and Montana, wheat growers who really face a limited market for wheat. They're growing a premium product. We talked about this with the uh, uh, U.S. Durham board. And what they find is that as soon as that wheat moves north of the border into Canada, Canada labels any type of United States wheat they import as feed wheat, which means they pay the cheapest mm-hmm. amount possible. In fact, Saskatchewan grain elevators are paying about 30% more for premium graded wheat for uh, from Canada than they are for feed wheat from the U.S. And a lot of northern wheat growers have found a sympathetic ear in Donald Trump and in this administration. And so they are pulling this issue, the idea that once U.S. wheat crosses the Canadian border, it's treated as feed wheat. They're pulling this into that NAFTA renegotiation, according to Reuters. They want a rider specified in NAFTA that says grading will continue in Canada, whatever the source of the wheat may be, whether it's American or Canadian wheat. They want it to be uh, paid as though it you know, was all even, which it is from a protein concept, content standpoint and all these others. That's that's what they're pulling for. So we'll see if this gets written in. We haven't yet seen any text from the U.S. Trade Representative uh, about this issue in the renegotiations, but I'm sure we'll know here more in the next week or so as these negotiations continue. Well, right. I can't imagine we'd see anything yet since yeah. Canada really yeah, hasn't even you know, been to the table I'm sure they've seen it, but I think it'll be a while before we, the little people, get to see this. The sort of little thing. people, yes. Yeah. Well, we've got some big news today. Well, yesterday, I should say, came out late yesterday afternoon, and that is an, an EPA and an ethan or uh, an, a lawsuit against Energy Secretary Rick Perry. So the ethanol industry joined. Forces, Growth Energy and the Renewable Fuels Association joined forces to sue the agencies to get access to records detailing how the administration decided to grant those hardship waivers that exempted, of course, a lot of uh, refineries from blending biofuels. And don't know what's going to come of this yet, but basically their lawsuit targeted energy secretary rick perry because the epa apparently has to consult with the energy department to grant such hardship Mm -hmm. waivers or refinery waivers under the renewable fuel standard and they're claiming that that did not happen and that these hardship waivers were of course issued to help refiners reduce the cost of blending ethanol and uh just made some statements that quote they should come clean and provide the public with what it deserves a full accounting of the stark increase in the number of small refinery exemptions it has granted in recent years. So now, does it say, is the goal of this lawsuit to bring those gallons of of waived ethanol back into production, or or are they really just looking for the records behind the decision-making? I mean, if you want to read between the lines, that's on you. This article says they just want the records and the thought process behind the decision-making. 
Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I just I just found a statement from RFA and Growth Energy. They say that the uh, the aim of this lawsuit is to increase transparency and foster better oversight of EPA's use of small refinery exemptions. So yeah, it certainly sounds like uh, you're on the right track there, Delaney. Maybe the hope is that if it's more transparent, there will be fewer of these type of exemptions in the future. Maybe. I. I would bet that's what they're going for. Otherwise, we're speculating a little bit here, but yes. Oh, absolutely! This is a podcast, Delaney. We could speculate all we want. I think <laughs> oh, they're okay. filing this lawsuit so they can take a trip to the moon. <laughs> okay, let's not get too crazy. Now, do you have any other news for us before we get crazy and talk about some <laughs> some girls' talk ag issues and green on the screen in the markets? I do have one other quick piece of news here about African swine fever as we continue to watch that outbreak across China. Of course, Secretary Sonny Perdue was in Iowa this week for the Farm Progress Show, and he apparently made a statement yesterday when he was visiting the Landis Cooperative in Ames, Iowa, that this this um, this outbreak, China's outbreak, is probably bigger than what has been reported public, publicly. He's said that basically we think that it's probably being underreported as a way for the Chinese media to control that and also to control the effects or what people outside of China are seeing. No, he thinks yeah. the Chinese might not be fully reporting some negative information mm-hmm. inside their borders? Yeah. So I, I am shocked. I'm absolutely <laughs> shocked, Delaney, how yeah. that, that that would even be possible for the Chinese to do that in the absence of a free and fair media, considering that everything is state-controlled in China. Right. Hmm. Well, so... Might be a little worse than what they're letting on to be. Yeah, that would absolutely be my guess. That that would help explain some of the the discrepancies between the huge differences in where these African swine fever cases have popped up. Obviously, something mm-hmm. has to be happening in between these 800-mile stretches because this virus doesn't just get up and walk around on its own. Yes, that is correct. Well, well it does kind of walk around on its own. Well, it, you know, it, it needs somebody to do its walking for it. It's... Uh, it's like a golf cart at the Farm Progress show. You know, it's it's got to have somebody driving it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and in the case in China, it's uh, typically feral hogs, or in the case worldwide, it's feral hogs typically doing the walking for them. Yeah, there you go. Well, Delaney, let's see if that did us any good in the markets today. What do you think? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, our markets are brought to us today by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get expert market analysis and assistance in managing your marketing plan by giving them a call. You can find them at 312-277-0050 or on the web at zaner.com. We do have green on the screen all the way down in the grains today, starting with the corn market. September contract up 10 cents at 351 even, December up 8.5 to close at 365 even in soybeans the september contract up 13 and a half cents closed today at 833 with november up 12 cents to finish at 843 and a half in chicago wheat september up 10 and a half cents finished today at 518 and a half december also up 10 and a half cents to close at 545 and a half Looking over on the livestock side, the picture isn't nearly as merry in the cattle complex the august live cattle contract 
end of contract today, and it was a limit down, closed at 106.80. The October was only down 30 cents to finish at 108.77 and a half. In feeder cattle, the September contract down 72 and a half cents at 149.45. October down a dollar 25 to finish at 149.12.50. Looking at lean hogs, the October contract bounced a solid dollar 30 higher today to finish at 50.42 and a half. The December up 77 and a half to close at 53.40. And of course, we can't let the month of August end without taking a look for our friends in the dairy industry at what's happening in Class 3 milk. Solid bounce today in the September contract up 13 cents at 16.51, while the October was up 7 at an ominous $16.66. Let's jump right into our conversation with the ladies behind the Girls Talk Ag podcast. All right. Well, we're talking to another group of podcasters today joining the Global Ag Network. We've got Angie Setzer, Karen Corgan, and Jennifer Campbell from the Girls Talk Ag Podcast. Ladies, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Having us. This is going to be interesting because we've never done a pod or we've never done a, a podcast interview with this many voices um, at one time. So we're gonna we're gonna try it and, and see how it goes here. But uh, well, one of you guys. Um, Tell us a little bit about the Girls Talk Ag podcast and how you guys got started. Well, uh, we credit Amazon Prime, uh, so we're, we're definitely, we, we reach out to Amazon quite often. Uh, they made it possible because we were able to get a microphone uh, shipped to our houses, respectively, before we could change our minds. And so <laughs> once we'd already paid the 75 bucks or whatever for the microphone, there was no turning back. So it was kind of on a whim. We just said, you know what we should do? We should do a podcast, you know, kind of about whatever is going on in agriculture at any given time, uh, current events. If it's something pressing, we'll talk about it. Or if it's just something that's on our mind, we'll talk about it. And our very background is made for real interesting conversation. You know, I'm a grain merchandiser and a, a market analyst. And Karen's an independent agronomist and business owner. And Jen is a farmer. And uh, so we have a lot of conversations about what being a farmer means. You know, gender topics, I guess you could say. We've talked about GMOs. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with the Roundup controversy and, and all of that stuff. And, and so anything that's going on, we like to talk about. I just say we do it all from the perspective that we're all moms, too. So when we talk about GMOs or those types of topics, we can give that aspect, too. And that was going to be my, my question for you. Jennifer, especially when you guys are recording Girls Talk Egg, when you're hashing through ideas about what to talk about, Who's your audience? Do you, do you figure you're talking to other folks in agriculture? Are you trying to get outside of ag and talk to that, uh, the consumer mom out there at the, you know, soccer game in the minivan going to the grocery store? Um, I'm willing to talk to anybody that will listen. <laughs> um, I think that the goal is to make it a, kind of appealing to everyone or on everyone's level so that we're all basically in the same game i mean it's we all eat we all have jobs we all have families to take care of and i think the goal is, is that really we all want the same thing we have safe affordable food and we're just giving the perspective from where that food comes from and that we trust it we eat the same thing everybody else does we raise our kids in the same world it's you know it's all just right there we're all on the same playground. Absolutely. That, that's a great way to do it. I mean, advocating 
has been kind of this huge hot button topic that a lot of folks have talked about. And it sounds like you guys are doing that. When you get responses from some of your listeners, do you have people that are not from a farm or, or don't really have a background in agriculture that have reached out to you and said, wow, I really like the way you've described X, Y, and Z on your podcast. I mean, what's some of the feedback that you've been getting from some of those non-ag people? Karen, you need to answer that with um, <laughs> Food Hussey in Ohio. You've worked close with her, and she's listened to our podcast, and I think that has helped a ton. Right. We um, picked up one of our listeners as a, a food blogger out of, um, I believe it's Cincinnati, Ohio, or possibly Columbus. Yeah. I don't know my Ohio very well, but um, she's contacted us and we've talked with her about some different issues and we're actually going to do a consumer question with her where she can ask us questions and and she's given us feedback about what her listeners want or what her readers want from her as far as one of them was how to cook pork correctly and different things like that so everybody has a different question and you know we'll we're willing to help whenever we can Jen Jen's kind of our chef and I'm kind of the one that defers to her for all cooking classes (laughs) I think it's interesting that as we farm, we also need to know, like, how to properly prepare pork. Like, I raise hogs, so I should know how to properly prepare pork. And so those questions get asked as well. And so it kind of helps that I also do some food blogging and tell farm stories in there. I can wrap all that together. Now, when you guys are are kicking around ideas and you're getting your podcast ready to rock and roll and get out there to the waiting masses, uh, how do you decide which topics to cover? I mean, there's a ton of things that that cross all of our radar screens in agriculture. How do you decide which are important and which ones you you really think need to be addressed? Well, we have a running list um, of topics. A lot of it, something just happens. And it completely, you know, uproots our schedule and we decide to talk about that. So it's just kind of, the part of it is planning and part of it is just what's happening in the world. And a lot of it is very last minute. Like someone will say something on Twitter and we're like, okay, that's it today. That's what we've got to talk about because it, it suddenly becomes a hot button issue or we have a lot of opinions about it. Yeah, you guys definitely have had some interesting topics and um, interesting opinions on certain topics. When you guys look at the future of the Girls Talk Ag podcast, what topics or, or hot button issues do you have coming up here in the next couple of weeks for your podcast? Because you guys are just once a week. Is that correct? Yeah. We shoot for we once do. a week. Um, between being moms and, and working, all of us working full time, we do the best we can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're definitely going to talk about the Roundup suit um, that was awarded in the California court. We're going to talk about the North Carolina hog farmer who um, had the judgment against him for the smell in the area. We're also going to talk about health insurance for farmers. Mm. And then we also do our side series, which is the Hot Mess Moms in Ag, and we interview different moms and kind of hear their stories and how they raise their kids. So we'll be adding some of those, too. Well, and you've also had Hot Mess Dads in Ag. I know you've had a couple of fellows on there. <laughs> we have. We did those kind of highlighting Father's Day month, but we have a couple that we're waiting to get in that we think will be good. So we'll probably add those um, here and there, too. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit more about the Hot Mess Moms or the Hot Mess Dads in Ag. So you're interviewing just farm farm families, farm parents, about how they're raising their kids? Yeah, we've, yes, we've a got lot a of, couple of Twitter personalities that we think will be fun to talk to you and kind of see, you know, you can kind of see some of their parenting skills from what their remarks are on Twitter and just, you know, see what they do, you know, how they balance everything between, 
you know, working on the farm or, or working in ag and also trying to raise the kids and juggling and, you know, we're all trying to schedule things and just glean better ideas on maybe how, what can be helpful for the rest of us. And we do it more just for entertainment and, you know, just to have some fun. I think it also makes you feel more normal because I think with social media now, everybody is showing their highlights on Facebook, like, oh, my kid made the honor roll or, Mm -hmm. you know, my kid's dressed nice the first day of school. And I'm over here, like, I'm lucky my kids are out of bed and waiting (laughs) on the bus, not just, you know, wearing the perfect outfit. And, you know, we, we get the whole dirty mess here. I mean, my kids have, you know, gone to school with, manure on their boots and, and, you know, had to tell the teachers they need to go outside and wipe their boots off. Um, no one posts that on social media or on Facebook, well, except me. Um, and I think it just makes you feel more normal when you know you're not the only one. That makes total sense. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a topic that you guys have kind of been circling around your moms. You're doing a podcast once a week. All three of you are in demanding professions, farmer, grain merchandiser, Mm -hmm. independent agronomist. I want to talk about balance. How do you figure out how you can balance family time with work time? And then why, why in the world would you add a podcast (laughs) on top of everything else you're doing? That's what my husband said. <laughs> Mine calls them my imaginary friends, so we call it our therapy, really. I, you know, it's it's almost like we have uh, an excuse to to stop for an hour each week and and uh, you know chat with friends, and that's what we feel like. Like we're we're friends with each other, and then the listeners that we have are friends. And you know, I always joke that or I saw someone say it once, and it was the most poignant thing I'd ever said. Anyone that claims to have a work-life balance doesn't have one or the other. Like that, if you if you can say you have a work-life balance, you're not working or you have no life. So, and I'm I think if you think we have almost, it all together, we must be pretty good actresses here. Yeah, and I, I think that that just doesn't happen in ag. I've always said ag is very emotional, and so is family. Yeah. I think everything rolls together when it comes mm-hmm. to agriculture. You know, farming or working in the industry, it's not a nine-to-five job, um, and neither is family. So you just kind of roll with what you've got. And I'm going to ask this, too, because I'm a woman in ag. You guys are all women in ag. Mike, sorry, we're going to single you out here. But yeah. being a woman in ag sometimes isn't always easy. How do you deal with that barrier or that sometimes, um, you know, I guess strike against you in some instances? I guess I don't let it phase me. But I've never been, like I said, I work with family, I work at home, so I don't have to. I've never had a problem with seed salesmen. Um, maybe it's part of my don't give a care attitude mm-hmm. to be nice. Um, I just, and if you don't want to deal with me, then I guess you don't really want my business. I guess I'm fortunate. I've never had to deal with that personally. I guess for me, I get to pick and choose who I work with for as far as clients since I'm a private consultant, so I can kind of weed out those. But for the most part, um, I haven't really had issues either, but I know some have, so I don't necessarily want to downplay that. But I think if you do good work, you know, people notice, and that's kind of the route you need to take. And, you know, I think speaking as a dude in agriculture, Delaney, <laughs> I didn't hold it against you. I mean, I no, recognize I you're a Absolutely. hard worker. and harder working than I am, so let's put that to, put that to work. <laughs> I, th- I, think- I, I, think you, I, I think you probably face that in every industry, um, maybe ag more so because it is, you know, you think more male-dominated industry. Um, 
and, and particularly some older generations. But I think that if you just keep doing your work and you do it good, that's the goal. Well, and something that uh, that we've seen, and you ladies have probably seen it more than I have here living at home, um, there has been a big shift in the industry towards more female representation. They're, they're quickly rising up the ranks at, at seed companies. They're rising up as agronomists and veterinarians out in the country. Have you run into, over the course of your careers, a growing number of women in the field of agriculture? I think it's funny because... Um I think they've always been there. I think with social media, it's just risen to the top a lot, and we have more of a, um, I don't want to say more of a voice, but more places for that voice to be heard and to talk. Um, I can think of, I mean, my mother-in-law has been helping on the farm for years. You know, we just have never had that social media presence to make, I don't want to say a big deal about it, but, you know, to say what we're doing. Um but most definitely, I think that now more women are, you know, being highlighted for the job that they they might have been doing all along. That's a good point. It was previously, I don't want to say it was background work, but it, it kind of was. You know, it was always the, the man out yeah. driving the tractor, going to the meetings, you know, in front of people while the right. women ran the books and took care of employment mm-hmm. and cared for the family. And now you're right. Now we can see them more and more across social media. And speaking of social media, all three <laughs> of you are... Twitter super users, I think it's fair to say. What was about Twitter that drew you in? Why do you like Twitter so much? I have no idea like because people, I, I, I enjoy it, but I have no idea why people like me. <laughs> <laughs> so I got on it for the fun of it. I remember the first time I crossed the 100 follower barrier and I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, here we are. And that's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> and Jennifer, how about you? You're you're out in the countryside. What about Twitter was appealing? You know, I had a friend who said, you need to get on Twitter. And I'm like, no, I don't need any more time on social media. And they're like, no, you'll love it. <laughs> and I signed up and um, I call it my water cooler because I don't, I don't, I mean, I spend my time in a tractor and hog barns in the house. Um, it's It's my only connection to the outside world it's it's i get to talk to people that do the same thing i do and i love that Mhm. yeah that's a great point karen what about you um i like it just to gather information you know i've identified some farmers in different areas and i can talk to them either directly by direct message and just be like you know what's your status you know have you, do you have your crop in what's it really like out there how much rain are you getting are you seeing any you know, bugs or weed issues or anything that would be of interest, um, you know, just have that kind of more educational communication line open so I can kind of tell in a wider area than just where I run what's going on as far as agronomics for the season. And ladies, before we let you go, how can folks find each of you on Twitter and also the Girls Talk Ag podcast on social media? I am at uh, Goddess of Grain on Twitter, and we have Girls Talk Ag, at Girls Talk Ag, um, on on Twitter for our site. I'm uh, Weed Girl 24, and I'm Plow Wife. So we we have three quite unique names. We work really well together. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. I love it. Well, ladies, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, and we're excited to have you be part of the Global Ag Network launching here in a couple of weeks. Well, Delaney, I am very, very excited to bring that podcast into the Global Ag Network. They've got a lot of enthusiasm, they've got a lot of energy, and uh, and frankly, they're just they're just fun, fun people to talk to. 
I agree. I like, I really do like listening to the Girls Talk Ad podcast. They did one two or three weeks ago about showing at the county fair or state fair, and it just like what they were talking about just resonated so well with me. Hit you in all the feels, did it? It really did, yeah. Good, bad, and otherwise. Fantastic. Well, folks, if you want to stay caught up on what's happening here on this podcast, the Ag News Daily podcast, you can do it by following us on Facebook and on Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily, or you can visit us on the web at agnewsdaily.com. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.